now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Brought to you in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group, and Lori Zorn, insurance manager for Island Savings. As I often say, if you need experts in the area of home insurance or mortgages, these are definitely the people to talk with. And if you need to reach them, just visit the website, the CFAX 1070 website, uh, looking under shows, you'll find us, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe. You'll also find the contact information for both Denise and Lori. Uh, or you could always find me online or on social media. Our program today is all about condominiums. And we'll be focusing specifically on two topics today. Buying a pre-sale condo and also talking about these things called depreciation reports. Our guests today are Chris Gill, principal of the Condo Group here in Victoria. And back with us again is Russell Cass from Home Check Inspections. Russell also happens to be an expert in reviewing depreciation reports. But to start, let's hear from one of our listeners. And I would like to um, go through an email that actually came to us a couple of months ago. I've been waiting for the right opportunity to air it, and today is the day. Uh, it's an email from Candice, and this is what she says. My parents want to sell their home and downsize to a condo. They're going from about 2,800 square feet to about 1,200 square feet. They had hoped that their cost would also be less than half, but the price of the condo is actually about the same as the house. Why is that? Well, uh, this is something that, that we do bump into on a regular basis because, you know, they're going from 2,800 square feet to 1,200. I don't know what the numbers are for Candace here, but I think sometimes people kind of have this thought that, all right, if I'm selling my 2,800 square foot house for $700,000, maybe I can buy a 1,200 square foot condo for $300,000. Uh, you know, that, that sort of is, is the, uh, the mental math there. Uh, that's not really the case. Actually, Chris... Y- y- Tell us, I mean, how, how much are people paying per square foot today in town? In downtown, you're going to see about $700 a square foot. Oh, $700 plus. at 1,200 square feet. So you're looking at $800,000, right? Correct, yeah. Okay, so how do people, we haven't done our introduction to you yet. We'll get to that in a moment here. But um, how do people get their heads wrapped around going from 2,800 square, like a lot of space and a yard and a garage to downsizing to this 1,200 square foot condo? Well, it's not easy. I mean, it's it's a big decision. It takes a lot of uh, a lot of work to sort of get rid of all that stuff that you've collected over the years. Yeah. I mean, there's just there's so much to do. Um, but once you kind of get settled in there, it makes a lot of sense because you can turn the key and walk away. Yeah, it's a it, it, actually it's a lifestyle choice, right? It is. It really is. It's all about lifestyle. Yeah, and and this is the thing because Candace's question is uh, some people hope that it's an economic choice. So to be able to sell the house uh, for a good dollar, as you as you can today, uh, but to be able to downsize to the new condo or townhouse, maybe have some leftover money, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah. In, in fact, sometimes it's the opposite. I mean, if they're looking for something that is waterfront, water view, has got other attributes, um, that's more than it is possible that they could be spending more than what they're selling, right? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to put a number on view. If people wake up and enjoy their view every day, it's hard to find a number for that. Well, and that's the thing, because you know, you think about all these folks that come from uh, the prairies. Like, like the three of us have seen these people. They're coming from Calgary. Uh, they're not getting a view from Calgary. 
No, right? <laughs> definitely so, not. No, no ocean. So, no, when they think of Victoria, I mean, they and we often get that. People say, we're moving from Calgary or Edmonton or whatever, and we want to buy something in Victoria, but it's got to have a water view. Because if I'm coming to Victoria, it's got to have a view, right? Exactly. Yeah, with the added uh, bonus, it's not really a bonus, but if you're coming from Calgary to Victoria, we interviewed um, Curtis Atkinson from uh, Remax in Calgary uh, uh, a little while ago. Uh, the economics are different, too, because... They are not only downsizing from their house, they're also upsizing in values because Victoria is a lot more expensive than Calgary. For sure it is. Yeah. So uh, getting back to your question, Candice, uh, why is it? So, I mean, why why is somebody paying $700 a square foot for a condo? What are they getting? They're getting the lifestyle. Okay. That's the biggest thing. Um, people are able to do some traveling. They don't have to worry about the yard. They don't have to worry about all those all those items that come up in their house. Yeah. Um, and they're paying their strata fee and everything's being taken care of for them. Yeah. But but this is the thing. Like, m- mentally, again, uh, mm-hmm. people like Candace, the, the, the thought is, like, wh- like why is it? Why why is it so expensive? I mean, I guess the other thing is all the bells and whistles. Because especially when you're looking at new, you're getting new, the fancy appliances and the uh, finishing, right? I mean, what are we seeing in finishing today? Yeah, quartz countertops, yeah. stainless appliances, a lot of gas in the buildings. Yeah. Um, there's a building that's doing the uh, uh, cooktops that are with magnets. Um, oh, yeah. Those are pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, you definitely get a lot more sort of in that finishing category for sure. And the other thing we don't know about Candace here is uh, what's the condition of her parents' house? Correct. I mean, it could be like a, a bone stock 1980s house, maybe in a good neighborhood, but something that needs a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars worth of upgrades, right? And it probably doesn't have a view. I, I would say, <laughs> yeah, but could could be not, could be not. Anyways, Candice, uh, there is your answer, and and what Chris is basically saying here is a lot of it is lifestyle, but actually the other part of it too is the market. I mean, there's a reason why these condos are seven hundred dollars a square foot. Uh, the market drives it, right? Correct. Yeah. There's the lack of inventory. Yeah. And. Uh, and there are some some great new stuff out there that uh, people have to choose from. They do have to wait for those, though. Yeah, we're going to talk about that because we'll be talking about pre-sales with you uh, just in a little bit here. Uh, anyways, Candice, thanks for your email. And as a reminder to all the listeners, if you have a real estate question that you'd like answered on our show, please visit cfax1070.com. Uh, the website there, uh, again, look under shows, you'll find the whole home show with Tony Joe, uh, or call our hotline, which is 250-414-6540. Be happy to answer your question on air. The other thing too is if you'd like to hear our past shows, again, just visit the website or you can find our podcasts on iTunes or Google Play. So uh, if you are a podcast listener, you can listen to some of our amazing guests here as you're driving in the car. Uh, just for your self-education about all things real estate here in Victoria. Uh, so what's happening out there right now? Uh, the market remains really strong. We've had conversations about this for the past few weeks. Uh, Victoria, of course, is the third most expensive real estate in Canada. Are we proud of that? Uh, I think we are because it's a reminder about how beautiful Victoria is. Chris just mentioned that you don't get views in Calgary. Right. Um, on the flip side, though, it does make affordability very difficult. It's expensive because if you're looking at $700 a square foot for a condo, uh, Chris, uh, size-wise, what are people looking at here for a starter condo? 
Um, you can get some one bedrooms in the 500 square foot range. Yep. Uh, sometimes they'll go up to about 600 ish. Oh. Uh, you get the one in dens in that 700 to 800 range, probably 750 really. Yep. Um, two bedrooms are in the 800. A nice, generous two bedroom is probably in that 950. Well, and this is the thing. And that's you, downtown. Yeah, so Candace here was saying they're going to 1,200 square feet. That's actually yeah. a big condo. That is a big condo. Yeah. Uh, you have to go into Saanich and Sydney or and something other older. outside areas yeah. uh, to find that 1,200 square feet uh, in new. And then exactly the older buildings, the 70s buildings then you can kind of squeak out that 1,200 square foot range. Yeah, so getting back to affordability here, I mean, we're, we're talking about living in 500 square feet. And, you know, 26 years ago when I started, that was unheard of. Like, everything was two-bedroom condos. There were all 1,000 square feet. Uh, units at the January there started at, what were they, 270 square feet or something? 250, yeah. 250 square feet. Yeah. I mean, a park, I think a parking stall is bigger than that. <laughs> Feels like it sometimes. Yeah. So uh, so this is really what developers have been forced to do, because we've had conversations on this show in past all about supply, about the fact that, yeah, uh, properties are expensive here. They're driven up in value just because of the demand. People want to be here. They want to live in Victoria. Let's face it, almost everyone who's here right now has come from another place. Uh, I know Russell's come from another place. Uh, you, Chris, now, you, you're from uh, here. Fourth generation. Fourth four generation. Okay, so there's a couple of us that were born and raised here in Victoria. But uh, anyways, affordability, things are needing to get smaller. Developers are having to get a little more creative. Uh, and that is how we're going to start. We're going to be able to... Um, make properties affordable. And that's the theme of today's show, is the dream of starting off with your first home as an actual house seems to be going away today. And the movement is towards condos. And that is really not much different from big metropolitan cities like Toronto and Vancouver. Anyways, uh, you're listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe. My guests today are Chris Gill and Russell Cass. We are talking all things condos. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with you in just a moment. You're joining us here on The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Today, we're talking about condos. We're talking about buying in pre-sale developments. We just had a conversation about the size and cost of condos, $700 a square foot, with one-bedroom units starting off in around the 500-square-foot range. That is just Victoria and the way Victoria is today. We'll also in a moment be talking about depreciation reports. Uh, these are documents that, uh, a lot, that consumers typically have a lot of questions about. What are depreciation reports? Why do they exist? And why is it important for you as a consumer who's thinking about buying a condo why it's important for you to know about depreciation reports. We'll cover them in just a moment. Uh, but I would like to introduce you right now to uh, our guest right now. Chris Gill is uh, the principal of con the condo group here in Victoria. Chris is a licensed realtor. Uh, Chris has been licensed for, uh, sorry, Chris, I can't remember. It's uh, 2006. 2006. All right, 11 years. Uh, the condo group specializes in new developments here in Victoria. Uh, they've done 29, they've marketed 29 developments from the very beginning. So we're talking before the holes are even dug in the ground. Uh, and many, many units here. You guys are the experts in town. Thanks for coming, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, actually, and I should say as well, too, Chris is a, he's a realtor from another real estate company. I'm a realtor as well, too. Some would say that we are competitors. Uh, on the other hand, though, uh, I think both Chris and I, I shouldn't say I think, I know both Chris and I know that we both believe in a collaboration and um, how important it is to network with 
with other uh, strong, knowledgeable agents uh, who specialize in certain things. You clearly specialize in condos. I do, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we were talking a little bit before about pre-sales. So we've seen statistics now. People are shifting from, this community, I should say, is shifting from being a house-based community to a condo-based community. And uh, what this means is that we're seeing a lot more condos. My brother from Ottawa, who only comes over, you know, maybe once a year, every couple of years, he always marvels when he comes to town, he sees a new high-rise. There are a few cranes in the uh, in the skies. That's right. You know, a, a few years back, the only high-rises in Victoria were Regent's Park at 1010, 1020 View, and the Pacific Monarch on um, uh, Pandora there, right? Yeah. And there was nothing else taller than four stories, but now... There's a lot. Why, why is that? Affordability and just densification. Yeah. I mean, more people want to be downtown where the action is. Well, and that's the thing, because uh, just like we look at in towns like Toronto or Vancouver, it's all about that lifestyle of being able to walk out your front door um, and just walk to work, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, and it's great because we, we often look at these walk scores. Anything downtown gets a walk score of... A hundred. Basically, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. everything's there, right? Mm-hmm. So tell us about, walk us through as a consumer. Somebody's interested in buying a new development. Give us an example. For instance, you're doing um, just 895? Uh, 989 Johnson. Oh, I'm sorry, 989 Johnson. Yeah. Okay, it's a hole in the ground right now. It is. Yeah, All right. It's a deep hole. It's a deep hole. Yeah. Somebody walks in and wants to buy one of these. Uh, what's the process? So there's a model set up in the front so you can see what the building's going to look like. Um, and then on the wall, there's a, a couple of flat screen TVs. You can click through and look at all the floor plans. Um, and then we also have in behind uh, a model of a of a home. So it has all the finishing, the flooring, the countertops. It gives people an example of what the counter is going to look like, the cabinets. Exactly. And so yeah. we just paint the picture so that they can see what they're going to be getting uh, 18 months from now sort of thing. But this is the thing, because it's hard. You're asking somebody to put down a deposit and to hold a unit for like two years on something that they have never, they can't touch or feel. Yeah, so we try and make it as easy as possible by having that sort of home built in the show suite. Um, But the deposit just secures that for them. Mm -hmm. Um, It allows them to get into the market without paying a mortgage currently. So you, you put that money up front, it's like a piggy bank you're saving. And, you know, two years down the road, if everything goes well and the, the market continues on its way, you're, you're sitting with a nice little asset. Okay. I, I'm not sure that people, people put deposits down just for that reason. But you, but you told us a story on Friday about somebody who uh, purchased a pre-sale in the uh, promontory area there mm-hmm. at 3, what would you say, 3? 335. 3.35. And you figure today, and it's not even built yet. Correct. And yeah. you figure that's worth how much now? It's close to 500000 Okay. So I, I wasn't intending to get here with, with our segment here right now, but just like you said, you put a deposit down, um, and mind you, that's been the lift that the market has shown here in the past. It, this is, it, it may not happen in the next year or two. Correct, correct. Yeah, um, but that's just amazing. Yeah, and the, the biggest thing, too, is when you walk in, that purchase price you see in front of you is the price you're paying. You're not competing with 20 other buyers on the same property. Um, uh, so you, you're just going through, and you can actually... 
pay a, a, the price that you see in front of you. Okay, which is really odd in today's real it estate is. market if you're buying a house. This is a really another good point. So in a marketplace where if you're, I mean, so many listeners, I'm sure, have gone through multiple offers, bidding wars, missing out on houses. We've had a lot of uh, uh, questions, actually, people that have been sending us questions about uh, bidding wars and all that stuff. So what you're saying is, uh, unlike the rest of the real estate market in Victoria, a nice thing about pre-sales is you don't need to go through this painful process, right? Correct. And you have options too. So there's there's more than one floor plan that can can work for you normally. So if there's there's going to be a range of one-bedroom plans. Be, the building isn't just a pure rectangle with square everything. Yeah. Um, so there's different different models uh, to choose from. And that just gives you that flexibility and, and the ability to, to choose something that actually could work for you. Yeah, we're here talking with Chris Gill from the condo group talking about buying a pre-sale condo. Uh, that, that's a really good point too. I mean, you the nice thing about buying on paper basically is having the choice. And I guess maybe that's the reason why you don't get the bidding wars like you do with a house. Because the thing about a house is you just have that one house. You have 20 people wanting it. Uh, that's when the bidding war happens. When it's sold, it's sold. But with a development, y- you can offer them different elevations, different um, views, different uh, features, right? Yeah, different exposures, all that sort of stuff. So it, it really gives the consumer some choice. Yeah. And we are kind of lucky here in Victoria because we read all about these stories in Toronto where people line up like over the weekend, like on the release of a new iPhone or something, yeah, right? Yeah. So they bring their camping gear and they tent out and they line up. And uh, there was a development in Toronto not long ago. Uh, it was 400 and something units and it sold in hours. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of that in Vancouver quite a bit. Even still, 200 plus unit development selling in a weekend sort of thing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something else. We don't, we don't really experience that here in Victoria. No. No, so that that's that, that's really unheard of, and I think that's something where in Toronto and Vancouver, I mean, that this is just their usual uh, day in the life of uh, condo developments, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how long, generally speaking, from uh, the start of holding the ground to when a condo was built? I know it depends on the size of it, but but generally speaking, how long are people waiting? Uh, I would say for a high rise, you're about two years. Okay. Yeah, and with um, wood frame, you're Probably 16, 18 months. All right. So a, a question that I think people might have uh, that's a bit of a concern is, let's say they commit to this pre-sale condo right now. Uh, of course, they're probably going to get need to get mortgage financing of some sort. The bank will give them an approval, right? Correct, yeah. Um, but two years is a long ways away. Like How 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 can they hedge their, their position against potential increases in interest rates? Uh, well, the, the bank will guarantee the rate uh, through uh, Royal. Um, a lot of the bigger banks will give you the uh, like a 24-month rate hold. Okay, and, and this would be, for instance, if the bank had an agreement with the developer, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 So that's, I mean, that's really important because it's a concern that, that some might have, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. It's yeah. always nice to have that security. Your rate is going to be higher than today's posted rate, yeah. but uh, it's still, it gives you that security that you know what you're going to be paying. And you, have the, and you have the unit. And, and you have the unit. And you have that potential of, like you said, you know, buying. You're basically buying tomorrow at today's prices. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And presuming and hoping that values at least remain the same, possibly increase a little bit. That's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It isn't. Yeah. No. Really quickly, uh, in, our, in our last seconds here, GST. Yes. 
are are they usually included in uh, pre-purchase or no? No, most of the time, uh, the current market right now, everything is plus GST. All right, so people just need to know that they have to pay. They need to pay. Uh, yeah, and the salesperson should bring be bringing that up right up front with them. Yeah, and of course that can be embedded in the purchase price, so it could be part of the mortgage as well too, right? Yes, it can. Yeah, great. Uh, Chris, if people need to reach you guys, your website is thecondogroup.com. Great. You've got everything there. Chris Gill from The Condo Group talking about pre-sales and condos. Uh, we're going to have you back in just a moment here as we have a conversation uh, with Russell um, uh, after his talk on depreciation reports. We'll take a little break. We'll be back in just a moment. We are talking all about condominiums today here on The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe. Thanks for joining us. We just had on air Chris Gill from The Condo Group talking about pre-sale condos. Uh, today's theme is condos. Uh, we've learned that one-bedroom condos today are being built at around 500 square feet. Uh, we've also learned that there are condos being built for 250 square feet, which is really smaller than most garages, I think, in town. Uh, but that is development. That's the way that people are able to have what Chris Gill mentioned, lifestyle here in town, being able to take the elevator down to their lobby, step outside and have a coffee, go for food, go to the theater. Uh, it really is a great way uh, for people to enjoy the whole downtown lifestyle. Uh, no need to think about commuting, uh, no, no traffic jams. We are starting to get those here in Victoria. Um, so this really is a great lifestyle for many. One thing actually that we didn't cover, uh, sorry, we'll get Chris back on, on the mic here too. A lot of these condo developments today don't have parking stalls. Correct. Yeah, they've got uh, the building large bike rooms and, and bike storage yeah. um, and also doing the car share programs. Car share programs. Yeah. Oh, so if, first of all, with bikes, I mean, it is, it's visible even just driving down here to the station. There are bike lanes all over the place. It's really becoming a biking and pedestrian community here, right? It sure is, yeah. Yeah, and the car shares we're seeing all the time as well. For sure. Yeah, see, in the old days when, when developers were building, they had to have one parking stall per unit, and now they don't. Correct. No, there. I know of uh, one building in town that has zero parking. Yeah. At uh, 1007 Johnson. Well, there, so. we, there we go. Yeah. There we go. All right. Uh, it's a walking and biking town. So shifting gears, we have with us right now Russell Ca Cass. Russell is with Home Check Inspections. You'll recognize uh, Russell from being on the air here with us before. Russell, thanks for coming. Well, thanks, Tony. Russell, the depreciation reports are something that people often ask us about. Now, we've shifted gears just a little bit because, uh, generally speaking, of course, we see depreciation reports on older resale units. Correct. Right? So we talked about pre-sales with Chris a moment ago. Uh, tell us about why depreciation reports exist. So, uh, I mean, other than it being, you know, a requirement, um, I, I speculate that the government looked at all of the leaky condos, all of the costs, all of the bailouts, and... Uh, quite honestly, I'm surprised, but had the foresight to see that this is what was coming with the older apartment buildings. Maintenance was not being kept up. As Chris said earlier, people want the way of life. They want to be able to walk away. Um, but in years gone by, they didn't want to contribute. And so what suffered was the contingency side of financing, uh, the operational side, the day-to-day -day costs. They had that but they began to fall further and further behind with the savings, the contingency funds. Okay. Well, actually, there's, there's two things that, that, uh, that we should cover here first before, before we move on. The first thing is just a reminder about the leaky condo era. 
No, let's and, not talk about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to be. You know what? A lot of people who are relatively new to Victoria, yep. they, they don't even know about the fact that we went through this painful time, which is called the leaky condo era. Yep. And generally speaking, these these were condos that were built between, uh, say, well, actually. Well, late, late, late 80s into uh, early 90s. Yeah. Um, and it was the dark ages. Uh, for many people, there were huge uh, levees. Uh, ways of life got shattered. Yeah. Um, so these, these are people that bought into condos uh, for the lifestyle, as we talked about earlier. We're hoping that it would simplify life and make life a lot easier. Then all of a sudden, it turned out that these buildings were leakers. Uh, they required uh, envelope uh, repair, yep. which were often very expensive. It started at 20000 per unit. We've seen it uh, 100000 per unit. Yep. Uh, people couldn't come up with the money, and they end up um, going bankrupt. And, and that was bad, right? Yeah, lifestyle gone. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, tell us why. Why were those buildings built like that? Uh, well, there was a whole bunch of things. Um, some of them were the majority. Actually, were installation flaws. Uh, yeah. You know, building boom, um, tar paper, house wrap put on incorrectly, uh, windows put in upside down. Um, some were design but issues. The, but, but the inspectors approved that at the time. Correct. Yeah. 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 Now, municipally, they don't look at every single installation, and that's a misconception the public has. Uh, they're looking at general, uh, general code compliance, and uh, yeah, things get missed. So we have all these buildings that um, uh, got into trouble. Correct. That combined with what you just mentioned a moment ago about contributing, right? Yeah. So there are strata fees because all the owners get together and they uh, they pay for the common expenses through strata fees, right? Correct. Um, yep. But one of the things that we have seen is a lot of uh, stratas, they, instead of saving money, they have kept their strata fees at a bare minimum so they don't need to, to spend for unforeseen they don't need to spend and, and consequently when unforeseen problems happen uh they're stuck right they're stuck so the the regulations require that uh, strata have 25 percent of its operating funds so when you pay your strata fee that money is divided into two portions the operating the day-to-day -day, anything that's going to happen within a 12-month period that's into the operating side Anything that's outside of that is the contingency. So those every uh, 25 years, replacement of the roof, that's a contingency item mm -hmm. uh, and is financed that way. So what happened is a lot of, uh, and not to lay it on their door, but property management companies, uh, they were getting squeezed by stratas to lower their, their fees and make promises of, you know, lowering those fees. And, and what got given the, the the knock was the contingency fund. I've seen buildings uh, at $6 per unit per month contributing to the savings for the future, and it's falling far short. Depreciation reports have changed that mindset yeah. uh, in a big way. Okay. So uh, what does the depreciation report tell us? It's looking into the future, 30 years down the road. It's looking at common assets, um, and it's looking at the repairs, the maintenance, and the replacement, projecting the costs, and then putting it into a time frame, taking it all and putting it into three financial plans. That's allowing potential buyers to know what the contributions are, what the special levies are, and when they will occur. So okay. they go in with their eyes wide open. Okay, so for instance, let's talk about an elevator, because elevators don't last forever. 
elevators, it's a, that's an interesting one to bring up because the uh, the regulations do, does not require that you actually put an elevator in. Now, obviously, it's critical, um, and most of the authors do actually put it in, but it is not actually one of the items that is named specifically to be in the report. Wow, and the and these are things. I mean, there there's a building right downtown in James Bay on the water with an elevator that's been under repair for what we won't mention it. Uh, but the cost is huge. I think it was like an $800,000 um, repair or something or, or upgrade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, however, like I said, most of the authors put it in. Uh, I think the reason it's excluded, and I don't know exactly why because I didn't write these regulations, is that it falls under the Factories and Machineries Act. It has to be inspected annually. Um, and I suspect the conflict between two experts talking about the same thing was avoided by that conclusion. Um, when I put together a report, I always go and talk to the elevator company. I get the information from them and put it in. Yeah, so you need to know that information because the strata should be planning for the eventual replacement of this elevator. It's a common asset, absolutely. Yeah, so in, even if it's if it's 20 years, that you yep. need to start saving for that today so that you know the money is there 20 years from now? You, you just hit the nail on the head. So when it's replaced brand new you start saving for the next one. It's like painting the Golden Gate Bridge. You no sooner finish, then you start all over again. Yeah. Um, and that, a lot of condo owners, unfortunately, don't get that one. They go, look, we just put a new roof on. We don't have to put money away for that, you know, for 25 years. Yeah. It's an ongoing, that's a responsible way to do it. All of the owners over a long period of time, both the present owners, uh, the future owners, uh, they're all contributing evenly, yeah. uh, and that's what's fair. All right. We have to continue past our break here because we, we haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg here. So we're going to get both of you guys back on afterwards. But, Russell, if people need no to reach you, how do they do that? Uh, we're on uh, on the Internet out there at homecheckcanada.com. All right. And phone number? Uh, 778-351-1928. That's great. Uh, we're going to come back after the break. We're going to uh, no continue problem. this conversation. Uh, but for listeners here, if, if you were struggling for your pen and paper and you couldn't write down uh, Russell's numbers here, don't forget you can find us online at the CFAX 1070 website uh, or find our podcasts on iTunes and Google Play. We're talking about condos and having a conversation about depreciation reports. I've just realized we need to actually have an entire show on depreciation reports because there's just so much to cover. Uh, but we're going to do what we can for the listeners today. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. You're joining us on the Whole Home Show with me, Tony Joe. We're talking about condos and depreciation reports. I'm going to get right into it because we're running out of time here and there's so much information to cover. We're sitting here with Chris Gill from the Condo Group uh, talking about new developments and also with Russell Cass from Home Check Inspections uh, who's been giving us a, uh, a look at depreciation reports. So, Russell, let's continue the conversation here. Sure. Um, we talked about the fact that the depreciation report helps the strata plan ahead for their major expenditures. Correct. Right? So... Who has told us that these depreciation reports are necessary? Uh, the government of British Columbia. And like I said, I'm astounded they did it, but it was it's a wonderful document. And I know there's a lot of resistance um, and there's a lot of reasons for it. What would be a re Okay, so why would Estrada not want to have a depreciation report done? Well, first off, it's that uh, I've been paying, you know, $6 per month per unit for savings in the future, and I intend to leave here in two years. I won't be here for the roof replacement. Why must I now pay a $100 a month increase? Uh, 
Okay, because what you're saying is the depreciation, the results of the depreciation report may uh, turn into an increase in the monthly strata fees for the owners. And invariably it does. Uh, Of the 1,700 I've reviewed in the last few years, almost without exception, um, the stratas, the owners have increased the contributions to the savings, to the contingency fund. Yeah, I'm not, I don't think, uh, Chris, I've never seen uh, strata fees go down before. No, it's very rare. <laughs> yeah, very rare. Yes. So, so anyways, um, the government says they need to be done. The government says they need to be done. However, they can be deferred. That is allowed. Um, they must be deferred in 18-month cycles, which invariably means they're done at the AGM, which is 12 months. Yeah. And the six-month grace period there is in case the AGM got moved just to make sure they weren't actually contravening the law. Yes. So what you're saying is that a strata can actually voluntarily, um, they can't opt out of having a depreciation report. Correct. And a lot of them that did them in, in 2013, uh, 2014, uh, if, you're, if you're on that track of doing them, it's every three years, they're opting out now. And, and for kind of a valid reason, um, they realized their first report wasn't that good. And they've done a whole bunch of stuff, and they've just got a little more to do before they want that new report. They want to reflect uh, how good they've become and, and their progression. And I think that's, that's commendable. All right. Um, tell us a little bit more about what's in a depreciation report. So we talked about, um, you talked about the fact that it, it outlines uh, future replacement of major systems, right? It's the major systems, and it's actually mentioned in the regulation. So uh, in uh, the finances section of the regulation, part six, it talks about uh, um, the actual requirements, and it's building exterior. In fact, I've got it right here with me. So the building structure, exterior, including roofs, roof decks, doors, windows, skylights, the building system, the electrical, the heating, plumbing, fire protection, security systems, common amenities, facilities, parking facilities, roadways. Util- I mean, it goes it goes on, but specifically mentions what must be there. Yeah, and of course, I've seen many of these. There's a spreadsheet that inc- that has line items for everything. Yeah, and how long their lifespan is, when they need to be replaced, what the estimated cost is at that point in time, right? Yep, yep. All of that's there, and this is where um, authors of the reports, and and that's a whole learning process. Uh, some of them aren't all. F- not familiar with this. So there are discrepancies and that's why for any strata getting their first appreciation report, try not to be too harsh on the author. He's never going to be absolutely exact. Okay. Uh, but it's that first, it's the start. All right. So, so you've mentioned author a number of times here. So who are authors of depreciation reports? Well, okay. So the, the regulations talks about a qualified person. Yes. And what a qualified person is, who's somebody who has the knowledge of buildings and their systems, uh, knowledge of finance, uh, knowledge of the difference between uh, limited common property, common property, and uh, the, the bylaws and regulations. Okay. Um, and so there's no requirement for a qualification in the regulations. Yeah. Most people doing these, though, have got a qualification. Yeah, so uh, we see a lot of engineering uh, firms, correct. for instance, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. applied science technologists, yeah. uh, appraisers are doing them. Um, they have a, a, a certification process that they go through. Uh, and, 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 each, and you are doing them? Yep, I do them as well. Yeah, I'm okay. an applied science technologist. All right. Well, now, one of the reasons why we're talking with you here today, and you've, you've mentioned this many times before, oftentimes depreciation reports are written by engineers. Correct. And there's a whole different language there. 
And yeah, and something that you have been doing for people is you provide uh, an additional service of actually reviewing these for consumers who are thinking of buying a condo, right? Correct. I, I get a lot of that sort of work where I'll actually analyze the documentation and explain the implications, yeah. um, and and explain as well where things may not meet uh, requirements of the regulations and what impact that may have in the document. Okay. Uh, so this is something, if someone if someone is asking you to do building inspection, of course, that's something that you bring into the fold. But sure. uh, additionally, if someone is thinking of buying a condo uh, and just has their hands on a depreciation report, they could give you a call and ask you to review that, right? Correct. Yeah, okay. that's correct. Uh, in, in doing the physical inspection, um, a lot of the reports, because they're three years old, uh, we'd look at the physical assets and then look at the depreciation report and we'd look at the difference that's occurred. Got it. Russell Cass from uh, Home Check Inspections here talking about uh, depreciation reports. I'm just going to shift gears really quick. We're going to have both uh, Russell and Chris chat here. Uh, we've got Chris Gill from the Condo Group. Uh, Chris, talking about resales, because of course uh, both you and I do resale condos uh, all the time. Yes. We're talking about depreciation reports here. What would you estimate is the um, percentage of times out there that uh, Stratus don't have depreciation reports? So we've already talked about the fact that Stratus can opt out, right? What do you think? Yeah, I think there was, at the beginning, there was some pushback from Stratas. There were definitely some opting out. A lot of um, it was the cost, right? Like, correct. Yeah, there was the, the cost associated and also just people not understanding. Um, it's like they were it, afraid that it would... Exactly. Um, and also, too, it, when it came in, it was very busy. So all of the uh, authors were, they were really busy. So there just wasn't, they'd people would be waiting months and months to have somebody come to do a depreciation report for them mm-hmm. um, because it was kind of, it all kind of came in at once. So Yeah. So um, what do you think? Like maybe, maybe 20% of the time there isn't a depreciation report? Hmm. Um, I know it's no it hard It also depends here. on the size of the strata, I find. Yeah. Uh, the smaller stratas, and when there's only you know five, six, seven units, um, less likely. Uh, the larger buildings, I'm, I see most, I would say. I don't see too many anymore. Yeah. Uh, as time goes on, more and more are finally biting the bullet and, and doing it. So, um, yeah, there's only a few that come to mind uh, of of larger stratas that don't yeah, have Yeah, you it. know, actually another thing, maybe both of you might agree with this, is when, I think when you see in a strong real estate market where there's a lot of activity happening, I think in buildings you might see more sellers that would like to sell, and I think oftentimes that could be the impetus of uh, getting things like depreciation reports done. Because if there's no movement in a building for five years, um, then, you know, maybe it's not that much of an issue with a strata, right? Yeah, uh, and, and I would agree with what Chris says. The majority of them do have depreciation reports nowadays. A um, couple of interesting things. A few years ago when they first came out, a particular building didn't want to do it, Strata. Uh, an owner approached me and was prepared to pay the cost himself to wow. have a report done uh, so that he could sell his unit uh, because he was running into resistance. They didn't have one. And, of course, you cannot do that. Uh, without Strata Corporation uh, approval, you cannot do a depreciation report. All right. Um, so the other thing too, when people are looking at buying a resale condo, often the question is, is there a depreciation report when there is none? And, you know, answer this for us, please, Chris, can they still buy the condo? Well, they have to review those strata docs extra carefully and... You're talking about the minutes of the meetings, AGMs and all that. Correct. Yes. And then they're going to be relying a lot on the uh, building inspector that they hire to do 
yeah. a report for them. I, I just I think there's often the 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 thought that if there isn't a depreciation report, a buyer won't be able to qualify for financing or something. But that's not necessarily true. Not yet. Yeah. Uh, that could come. Yeah. Um, but at this point, you can still do it. Um, there are buildings that are flagged out there. Yes. Um, but for the most part. It's not the end of the world, but mm-hmm. it's always better to have. Okay, it done. we we haven't talked about that on air here about about buildings being flagged. Sorry. All right, we're not gonna <laughs> no. So we're not gonna talk about specific buildings, but um, what are flagged buildings? Buildings that have some uh, large assessments possibly coming, yeah. um, and they haven't been dealt with or or voted on by the strata to, to address. And generally speaking, the issue that we find is if a buyer requires high ratio financing and needs, you know, CMHC or Genworth or something, uh, and it's that extra layer of mortgage financing uh, where it's a hurdle that can't be overcome, right? Correct. Yeah. Even buildings that are in the process of being remediated can't necessarily get financing because not all the funds have been paid out. Yeah, and that's the the concern is from the lender standpoint, of course, and that is if they, you know, they don't want to be on the hook for a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage only to find out that the new owner might default because they can't afford uh, extra expenses, right? Yeah, the extra assessments coming. Yeah, uh, Russell, back again to depreciation report. Yep. Because um, we're talking about buyers saying, is there a depreciation report? If there isn't one, they could still buy, but if there is one, a depreciation report is not necessarily a thumbs up, A plus, everything's good with the building, right? No, and and what you just were chatting about with Chris, uh, sometimes a, a depreciation report that does not look good uh, may well actually be an opportunity to purchase because um, a lot of the authors are ultra conservative. Um, they may be putting a roof in at 20 years when really it should have 30. Uh, and so you're looking at the documents, you're, you're actually inspecting for them. And you're aware that the roof has 10 more years. Um, the seller, of course, isn't. He's on the back foot here. Um, in, a, in a crazy market like this, that may mean nothing. But when the market cools, it'll have a huge impact. Yeah, a, a regular market. Correct. Yeah, because we have seen uh, sales, strata sales collapse. Everything else is fine uh, up until maybe someone like you, Russell, reviews the depreciation report and says, whoa, hold on a second. Here's a little concern here, and, and you just need to know that there's a possibility you might need to come up with certain dollars. That's the that's the biggest fear that people have is what happens if I buy in and I'm going to be hit with a forty or $50,000 special assessment in the future. Yeah, uh, and it is. And, and bear in mind, uh, I get a lot of calls in this market uh, not to inspect the building, but just to go through the documents. Oh. And so I'm blind. All I can do is tell you what this document says, and it may or may not be accurate. Yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you what it says. Got it. Uh, we're wrapping up our show here, Chris, for condos, uh, somebody who's new looking into the marketplace, you got a tip for them? What do they need to know? Tip for somebody new looking at condos, uh, meet with a realtor as soon as you can. They can help you and guide you through. Um, it's really important because, you know, the last thing you want is to just walk into something, uh, someplace and, and buy without having your eyes wide open. So... Yeah, actually, thanks for that. I didn't prepare you for that question, but uh, it's true, though. And, you know, here we are. We're not trying to say you got to use a realtor, but it's the truth, though, right? you got to get that that, uh, expertise from somebody who knows, right? Exactly. Uh, Chris, again, if people need to reach you, your website? Thecondogroup.com. Perfect. And Russell Cass from uh, Home Check Inspections, how can people reach you? Homecheckcanada.com. 
Wow, so much to talk about. Like I said, I think we could we could spend many uh, episodes here talking about condo ownership. Uh, if you have any questions in future, our, our listeners, please do get in, uh, find us. Sorry, on our website cfax1070.com, uh, or visit our or go to our hotline. Give me a call 250-414-6540. That's our show for today, talking about condos and depreciation reports. We will be here talking about all things real estate for you this time next week. We'll see you then.